Billy Graham or Martin Luther King or Michael Jordan or, or anybody. You know, sometimes we think of Billy Graham, we, there's a picture that comes to our mind or words that come to our minds like evangelist or uh, he was a great influence in the Christian world for many, many years. Uh, he's been one of the most influential people in, uh, in, in the Christian world for, for maybe this whole century. Uh, he, he's a really big figure and there's certain things that come to mind when we think of him. When we think of Martin Luther King Jr., we, we think he was a pastor. He was a great civil rights leader. He was a hero to many people. Uh, we think of him in certain ways. Michael Jordan, great athlete, uh, maybe the best player that has ever played the game of basketball. Um, Keith Baker, good-looking man, best hair in church. Um, right? We, we think of certain things. Uh, I pick on Keith because I love him. He knows that. Um, we, we think of certain things that characterize those people, whether they're good, bad, or funny, uh, when we think of someone, there are certain things that come to our minds, right? Uh, athlete, evangelist, hair, no hair, whatever. Um, and I think that's what we're going to see here in Thessalonians chapter 1. This church was known for being a certain type of church. Uh, they were known for being a certain kind of people. Uh, and I want to ask us the question, are we, what are we known for? Are we known for the things that this church was known for. So let's take a look at the passage, and then we'll start breaking it down as we go. It says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. So here we see three men identifying themselves as the ones writing the letter. Paul we know a lot about. He wrote most of the New Testament. We know he was somebody who was a persecutor of Christians. Then he gets saved, uh, and he becomes one of the biggest figures uh, in, in history. Uh, and then, so we see him. He's been planting churches. He's been evangelizing all, in all kinds of places. Um, and then we see Silvanus, who's also Silas. It's the same person. Uh, so we see that Paul, back in Acts 17, I'm sorry, uh, not 17, uh, 13, he has a fallout with Barnabas, his first ministry partner. Uh, they, they're debating whether they should take John Mark with them on their second trip. And Paul says, no, he left us the first time and we're not taking him. Barnabas feels strongly that they should take him. Uh, they end up parting ways. Paul and Barnabas go their separate ways. Barnabas and John Mark become a team. Paul takes Silas to become his partner. Later on, they seem to have made peace and Paul even welcomes John Mark. Um, and recognizes that he was wrong. Uh, but here we see that Silas and Paul become that, that duo that goes, that's going around planting churches and sharing the gospel. And eventually Timothy becomes part of that team as well. Uh, Tim, he became a pastor in, in the church in Ephesus. Uh, the letters First and Second Timothy were addressed to him by Paul. Uh, and he also is part of this group that comes to Thessalonica to plant the church that we're going to be reading about. So in Acts 17 is where we see that story. They come into the city of Thessalonica. They start sharing the gospel. People start believing in Jesus, and then a church forms. Uh, and it's not long after that that there's, they drive them out of the city. A lot of Jews were not happy that this was the message of Christ was being preached, that the city was turning to God from idols. Uh, so they drive Paul, Silas, and Timothy out of the city. And then sometime after, Paul's concerned for them. He wants to know what, how they're doing, how their faith is. So he sends Timothy back. Timothy comes back to Paul and says that the church is doing great, that these people are known for being 
uh, godly people, people who love Jesus, people who are vibrant, have a vibrant faith, they're active in their church, uh, and, and so he brings a good report. And we see in the letter to First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, uh, it's a letter of encouragement. Paul sees this church as a church that doesn't need to be reprimanded like it was in Corinth. Um, it's a church that he wants to encourage, that he wants uh, to speak highly about, uh, because they were known for being that kind of church, a church that really loved God. Um, so, so far, we see they introduce themselves, they give a typical greeting, and then we get into verse 3. He says, constantly remembering you in our prayers because of your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So here is my first question to you, church. Are we known for being a church who has a work of faith? Another way to translate this, this phrase would be a working faith or a faith that works or produces works. Uh, Paul's not saying that the Thessalonians had a faith where they were working hard to earn God's forgiveness or anything like that. That's not what he means. Uh, it's that they had a faith that was, that, that was producing good fruit in their lives. They, there were certain good works that were being done by them because of their faith in God. Um, they were that kind of church that was characterized by a faith that wasn't empty. It wasn't just words. It wasn't just, yeah, we believe in Jesus, but our lives don't show that kind of faith. It was a faith that had both and. Um, they, it had words. They spoke about Christ, but they also reflected him in their daily living. Uh, so Paul says in our prayers, we remember you because of that faith. Now, James mentions something interesting regarding faith. He mentions three types of faith th uh, that we could have. And he says first in James 2, verse 14, that there's what, what he calls a dead faith. He says, what use is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, and there's that word, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my Work. So James is aware that there are people who believe that they have faith in Christ, but in reality, it's no faith at all, because it's a dead faith. It, is, it doesn't come with the works, the, the fruit that is produced in the life of a true Christian. So here we see an individualistic, self-centered, all-about-me kind of faith, and, and James uses the example of somebody being in need and us saying the right things be warm, be filled, go in peace. It sounds very Christian, very godly, very heartfelt, uh, but then at the end of the day, there's nothing done about it. Um, so here we see a person, in the example of James, um, that has the right words to say, but yet those words are not being backed up by actions that are godly. Uh, John says something very similar in John 3, verse 17, but whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word and with tongue, he says, but in deed and truth. You guys see, those things are both important to have. Uh, so true faith has both of those in, in, included, not just one and not the other. So James says, if we have faith that has no works, 
That's not real faith. That faith is dead. Then he says that there's what we could call a kind of a demonic type of faith. Verse 19, you believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? So here we see uh, that there's not only a dead faith, but he says there's a, a devilish kind of faith, a demonic kind of faith. Even demons acknowledge that God is true, that God is real. They were in his presence, uh, and, and yet they don't truly believe in, this, in the biblical sense, in the sense in, in the, 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 they are submitting to his lordship, that they are living obedient lives. Uh, they hate God. They've rebelled against God. They continue to rebel against God, but they would tell you more than anybody else probably that God is true, that God exists. So that's useless, according to James, unless... It is coupled with fruit in our lives. So it's not that it's not important to affirm convictions. Of course it is. And to say that we believe. But that belief is going to show itself in the way we live our lives. So James says, even demons believe. And not only that, but they shudder. They tremble before God. A lot of people don't even feel anything when it comes to God. So the demons have a step ahead. They, they acknowledge God exists. They tremble before him. They still rebel and they're still disobedient though. In church, I want to challenge us to think what kind of faith do we have? Are we known for being people who have a faith that produces works as we see in the Thessalonian church? James ends this section by saying this, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. So here we see James saying there is what he calls... Uh, or what I call a true faith, uh, a real faith, a faith that says, yes, I believe God, and when God says, well, go ahead and sacrifice your son, Abraham went and did it. It demonstrated that he truly trusted God and, and his promises. In church, I, I pray that we can be individuals in a church that is known for having a faith that produces works, that we would be involved in loving our neighbors and loving people around us and, and, and being busy with God's work, but that, that, would, that, that it would be because we have trusted in Christ and out of that trust and out of that conviction, then we go and serve. That is an awesome thing, and that is an awesome way to be known and be remembered that if people around us are First Baptist, Boynton Beach, man, that church is a church full of people that are full of faith that is active. It is not a dead faith, but a faith that is producing works. And I pray that we can be that church. Second, are we known for works motivated by a love for God? Uh, I find it interesting uh, that Paul says here, your work of faith, and he says, uses a word labor of love, the phrase labor of love. Uh, John, in Revelation 2, says something to the Ephesian church that I think is very interesting for us to read. He says this in verse 1, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, 
says this, I know your deeds and your toil. So here's a church that has been working. They've been doing things. They've been toiling. They, they, there's deeds. They, they're not just sitting around doing nothing, uh, holy huddle type thing. Uh, they, they have been working. They have been working really hard. Um, and it says then they've persevered. Uh, there have been trials. There have been all kinds of different things that they had to push through. Uh, and they had done that faithfully. Then it says they have endured for my name's sake. Uh, they understood that, that life, the Christian life, was going to come with a lot of challenges, and they had remained faithful in those things. Then he says, and you have not grown weary. So here we see a church that has great theology. Here you see a church, I think I skipped a part. Uh, oh, yeah, I did. It says, you cannot tolerate evil men. You put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. And you found them to be false. So here we see a church. They're calling out false doctrine, which is what we should do to protect the church. They're calling out evil people. They're working hard. They're, they have all kinds of different deeds, different things that they're doing. It says they've persevered. They've not grown weary. They've endured. They have high theology. They have high standards. They, they're a busy church. They, they are doing all these things. And John praises them for that. Hey, that's great. That's good. However, he says in verse 4, But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. So here we have a church that has a high view of the Scriptures, as we should have. Here we have a church that's really busy doing all kinds of different things. Here we have a church that's calling out false teachers because they're misleading their people or at least trying to. Here we have a church who's doing all these really good things, but why are they doing it? It seems, I don't know the exact answer, but John says, you've left your first love. They were not doing it out of a love for God and for their fellow people. It seems like they had gotten into this routine of just going through the motions week after week. This is what we do. We call people out. We, we do all these things. We get busy. We do church. We, we're, we're just going on and on and on. Um, but they had forgotten the, the, the very reason why they were doing those things in the first place. And I know that's not us. But I want us to be aware that if, if we're not continuing to be a church that is loving, we can very easily become this church in Ephesus where we're doing all these things, but we have forgotten our first love. And John says in verse 5, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. Uh, it's interesting that he chooses the word remember. When I think of the word remember, I think of looking back. And, and this week I thought, let me, let me look back myself, my own life. And I look back to, to when I first became a Christian, and I remember it was exciting. I was pumped. I, I wanted to go everywhere and tell everybody about Jesus. It didn't matter who it was. Um, and, and I was doing that. I, I was out and, and sharing the gospel, and I'd go with a buddy of mine who was at church, and he'd bring me with him. And, and in the early days, you know, he, he would say some things, and I, I just kind of mimic what he would do. Uh, but I was just trying. I wanted people to know Jesus because I love Jesus. 
uh, and if somebody said something that I thought was wrong, I'm like, you're a heretic. That's, that's wrong. The Bible doesn't say that, uh, but it was truly out of a love for Jesus and, and to protect his word. And, and I was like, just, I, you know, it was one of those things where I, I had the passion and desire, this love for God, and I was fired up. And then life goes on, and, and not that we don't love God anymore, but that starts to kind of, you know, slow down. And all of a sudden, maybe we st we're still passionate about certain things, but for the very wrong reasons. Maybe we're, we're wanting to call people out just to show them, show them who's boss. Maybe we want to tell somebody who they're wrong simply because we want to show off how much more we know than them. You see what I'm saying? Maybe we, we do all these things because it makes us feel better about ourselves. We're busy with church. We're busy with this program and that program and this and that. Uh, and, and now we feel like, oh, I'm going to pat myself in the back. I'm a good Christian. God loves me. And, and I'm, I'm serving and all these things. But why is it because we love God? The Thessalonian church, they were laboring. It says their labor of love because they loved God. And out of that love, they were able to extend it to other people around them. So they were able to continue to do the things they wanted to do and stay busy expanding the kingdom of God, but they were doing it out of a love for God. And church, I pray that we would be, or continue to be, that kind of church. I don't believe we are like the church in Ephesus. I know most of you. We have a sweet church. We have a great church. But let's not get comfortable and fall into that air of saying, okay, we've made it. We've reached the top. Because when we think that, it's when we start to forget. It's when we start to kind of get into that habit of thinking, well, we don't need to grow anymore. We don't need to continue to be people that have a faith that produces work, to be people who are laboring hard out of a love for God. I want to challenge us to continue to work hard, to toil, to labor, to be a church that is known for being a church full of love for God and for our neighbor. Third question, are we known for having a steadfast hope? Look at ver the verse 3 again. Constantly bearing in mind or remembering your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. In our culture, we use the word hope very differently than we see it in the Bible. Uh, for example, we say things like, I hope I can make it to church on time this morning. Now, when we say that, we're not saying that we're confident that we're going to get to church on time this morning, right? We're, it's a wishful thinking. I really hope I can get there, but I'm not sure. I might have to stop in Starbucks and get my coffee, uh, and I may or may not get to church on time, right? Or I hope I can finish my, this project that I have tonight, um, and I may or may not finish it, but I, I'm really hopeful that I will. You see, very different than what the Bible says hope actually is. Uh, so I think a lot of times because of our language, English language, and the way we use that word, we get a little confused about what hope is. Um, so we see it as more of wishful thinking. The Bible sees it as confidence, assurance, something we can bank on. We can put all our eggs in that basket because we know that it's not going to fail. 
So here we see that these people, they had a steadfast hope, an unmoving hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. They had put all their eggs in the Jesus Christ basket because they knew that it was not going to fail. They knew that that was never going anywhere. Now, Paul says regarding a false hope, this is what he says, instruct those who are rich in this present world to be, not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainties of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. And I think a lot of times people put, put all of their eggs, all of their chips, if you play poker, um, in the money basket or the job or leisure or whatever other kind of thing or pleasure that we have in this world and we think well this is what's going to do it for me this is what's going to fully satisfy me this is it this is how I'm going to find happiness and joy in my life is by putting all my energy and time and resources into this thing I'm going to hope that this is what will change my life and, and put me on a different course Paul says you're wrong the only way that you can have fulfillment and that you can have a sense of joy that can't even be explained with words is that assurance and confidence is if you put that confidence and that hope in Jesus. This is what helped the Thessalonian church, Paul, Silas, and Timothy to endure the trials they were going through in their lives. It was the hope one, that Christ would return, and we see this at the end of every chapter. Chapter 1, 2, 3, and 5 ends with uh, Paul speaking about the return of Jesus and how that truth, that reality, was helping them endure the trials of this life. You guys following me there? So when we look to the future, and that reality, that truth, should, should motivate us to live a godly life in the here and now. If I know that when I die, I'm going to be in the presence of God and I have nothing to lose, that changes the way that I live my life today. If I'm confident, if I have hope that Jesus is going to return and make all things new, that changes the way I go about my life today. So here we see that they had that hope, they had that confidence in Christ and that he would return for them. And that's what kept them moving. That's what kept them going. And that's what should keep us going, church. We should have a steadfast, unmoving, unchanging confidence in God because he will never fail us. And no matter what we go through as individuals or as a church, no matter how difficult it is, we have hope in the one who will never fail us and who will never leave us. And I want to encourage you with that this morning. Church, are we known for being those kind of people? People who have a working faith, labor full of love for God, and an unmoving hope. And now this doesn't happen automatically, nor does it happen because we follow certain steps and programs. It's not like we can say, well, here are five things I'm going to do to have more faith that produces more works and here are 10 steps and there's a program i'm going to join uh, that is going to help me to be more loving and love jesus more and here's some other thing i'm going to go through so i can have more hope now practical stuff is good but it's not that simple when it comes to this because we're going to see here in verse 4 and 5 that it is not us 
or who ultimately do these things, it is God working in us so that we can bear that fruit. There's a big difference there. It's not me by my own power to say, well, I'm going to be a person who has more faith, more love, more hope. No, I'm going to trust in God so that he can work in my life so that I may be that person. And we're going to see this here in verse 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Now, how does Paul and Timothy and Silas know that God had chosen the Thessalonians for salvation? Well, he knows that for the same reason that we would know it, because he's seen the fruit in their lives. He's seen that they are people of faith. He's seen that they are people that love God. They've, they've seen that they are people who have a hope in Christ because they've persevered through trials and all kinds of different things. They've seen the fruit, and they can say, well, yes, we know that God has chosen you because we see the work he's doing in you. And we see that he loves you because we see the work he's doing in you. Because you're loved by God, and he's chosen you. And then it says in verse 5, because our gospel came to you, and he mentions four things. First, he says, in word. The gospel came to you in word. That's important to understand. A lot of times we think the gospel can be preached without having to say anything. I don't know, maybe if you do pantomime or something like that, and you explain the story of Jesus coming and saving sinners really, really well, there could be a way for, for that to be crystal clear. But in most instances, you have to explain that to somebody with words, whether you write them or say them or, or something, but words, the gospel is a story. It's a message that we have to tell. Now, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they had come and they had told the Thessalonians, this is the gospel, this is the good news. You are wretched and sinful, you've rebelled against God. And he is holy, just, and righteous, and he can't sweep that under the rug. There has to be justice. There has to be a punishment for that sin. But God, in his grace and mercy, sent his son to die in our place, to live on our behalf and die on our behalf. He, Jesus came, lived a sinless life, died a gruesome death, and rose again from the dead. And if we believe and trust in Christ, we are saved. That's good news. That's gospel. Is it not? That's good news. That's what they heard in word. That's what we strive to preach on Sundays and Wednesdays and any other time we have a Bible study. We don't do it perfectly, but we want everybody to know the gospel. We want to preach that. We want to teach that. We want to share that over coffee or whatever it may be. Uh, we want people to hear the gospel with words. And then it says that it came in power. The gospel is not just any message. It's not just like any other, something like reading a book or the newspaper. Uh, it is a powerful message that can transform that, our lives. Uh, it, it is the message that has transformed the lives of every person in this room that has trusted in Christ. It is a message that comes to us, and it's not just words that we're hearing. It's not just uh, words that we're reading. It, it, there is a story that completely changes our minds and our hearts. It, it completely transforms who we are it makes us new people the gospel as paul says it is the power of god unto salvation it is what god uses to save sinners like you and me praise god for that the gospel came to them and to us in word and power then he says in the holy spirit god himself comes to us 
His Spirit comes to us and saves us. The Spirit is the one who calls us to, to Himself. The Spirit is the one who enlightens our minds to, to understand the Scriptures. The Spirit is the one who transforms, comforts, convicts us of our sin. The Spirit is the one who makes us bear fruit. The Spirit is the one who comes and lives in us. And because of that, we are able to be people who are loving, who are, have faith, and who have hope. Because the Spirit of God is doing a work in our lives. He is indwelling in every believer. And that is why. That is very different than saying, well, here's a list of things you can go home and do and hope to be a better person. No. It is better than that. God lives in you. God, Holy Spirit, lives in us. And he is the one who works in such a way that we become new people who bear this kind of fruit in our lives. That's amazing. And Paul was able to say, we pray, and when we pray for you, we remember you as those kind of people. And I pray, church, that when people speak of us, that they would be able to say, oh, firstborn, oh, yeah. That's that church that's full of people that have a working faith that work really hard because they love God and who have a hope that is unmoving, unchanging. That, that's my prayer. That we would be known as the Thessalonians were known for being this kind of church. And let, next week we'll, we'll look uh, the next few verses they, their influence had spread throughout many parts of the world and, and, and other churches in other parts of their cities they had heard about them they, they were such a godly church that people were saying yeah those guys in, in Thessalonica they're awesome they really love God they're an example for us to follow and I really do pray that we would be that church in our city in our county full of people that have a working faith, works motivated by love for God and an unchanging hope. And if a hundred years from now, if we're still here, Jesus hasn't returned, somebody's writing an article about our church, I hope they would be able to say, when we think of you, when we think of your legacy, we think of a church that was like this. Wouldn't that be awesome? And church, I want to encourage you to continue to be this type of church and to not let's not get comfy where we are but continue to grow in that faith to allow the spirit of God to work in us in such a way that we would continue to be a church that is full of faith full of love and hope church let's pray and then we're going to have the praise team come back up and continue leading us in worship father we come before you humble Acknowledging that by our own strength and power, we are helpless. But with your spirit working in our lives, we can bear great fruit that would be glorifying to you and for the good of other people. Father, I pray that if there's anybody here this morning who has not received the gospel, that powerful gospel that comes with your spirit, 
that brings conviction. If they have not received it, I pray that you would give them eyes to see their need for you and that they would repent and trust in your son. I pray for those who have trusted in you that you would continue giving us the strength to follow you, the strength to persevere. Father, help us to continue to be a church that loves you, that works hard because we love you, to have a faith that is not dead, but that is producing great works, and that we have a great hope that never, never changes because we know in whom we've put our hope. We thank you for this morning, for the privilege we get to gather together as a church. Let us not take that for granted. And Father, we once again thank you for all that you've done in your Son, through your Son. We don't deserve it, but we're grateful that you have done great things through Jesus. We pray for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.